We hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. This is the second week of a new series uh, called How Now Shall We Live? where we're exploring Romans 12 to 14. Last week, Warren took us through the first part of this passage, and it all begins in verse 1. Let me do a little bit of a review for you, and then we're going to cover some really challenging verses of Scripture. Verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And so we often talk about doing worship here. And sometimes you'll hear us say, hey, we're going to continue worship by singing. Worship is about more than song. It's actually about our whole life, our whole lifestyle devoted to God. And Paul says that in light of all that God has done for us, which he describes in chapters 1 to 11, we should live differently. Our lives are no longer our own. They are lived as a sacrifice to God. God's mercy changes everything. And this verse is the umbrella under which this whole series and the rest of the book of Romans sits. You might ask, we're supposed to live in light of the mercy and grace of Jesus. Okay, I got it. But what does that exactly look like? And the great thing is that Paul doesn't leave us in the dark. Instead, he shows us what the grace and mercy of Jesus should change about our character and about our behavior. Verse 2, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Don't copy the customs and behaviors of this world. You are now citizens of a new country. You are citizens of heaven, not of this world. It's different. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So Paul says, don't be a chameleon blending into your surroundings. Be different. Live in such a way that people see you are not the same. And we wished, I'm not sure about you, but I wish that this was a, a momentary instant thing, like turning on a light switch. Like as soon as you understand the mercy and grace of Jesus, you're like, ah, there it is. My whole life, day and night, black and white, has completely changed. But if you're like me, as we read today's passage, you're going to see that there are ways that you and me fall way short of what is asked of us. If God has instantly changed me, then he probably hasn't done that good a job because I still feel like there's a long way for me to go. However, I don't think the uh, evidence from Scripture is that this is the way God even works. There is something that instantly changes inside of us when we uh, discover the mercy of Jesus for us. We have a new relationship with God. But there is something that takes time to happen. It's more of a gradual process, that change of behavior and character. And I think it's a little bit more like this. I think it's a bit more like the developing of a Polaroid picture. So what happens in a moment is someone takes this Polaroid picture and it hits the camera and then it just uh, zips its way out and then you hold it or you shake it, which apparently you shouldn't shake it, you know, shake it like a Polaroid, you're not supposed to do that. But you, you shake it or you hold it or you leave it and over time the image, which seemed to be nothing at all, slowly begins to appear, one bit at a time. It's, it's vague and blurry 
until we begin to recognize something clear and distinct coming forward. And Fraser's already got it, see if you can get it too. So it is with us. Paul here is laying out the new life. He's giving us a little picture of what the final image looks like. And what we need to do is to keep on developing by surrendering ourselves to Jesus daily and becoming more like him. So what does this new life look like? How now shall we live? That's what Paul begins to introduce to us in the verses that follow. Verse 9 really says this well. It says this, Don't just pretend to love others. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. And this new behavior that is developing us isn't an image of a cat. But what it is, is it is a life of love that is real and deep. And Paul tells us that if we've truly understood the mercy of Jesus, if we've got the grace of Jesus, then it will have a dramatic effect on our relationship with other Christians and our relationship with those outside of the church. Paul argues that a transformed mind will lead to transformed relationships. The people who are to be the most caring in the world are to be those who walk with Jesus. Those who are to be the most understanding are to be Christians. Those who live by the Spirit of God will show it in a radical way that they treat both those who are close to them inside the church and those who are not. And that is the image that we begin to see defined in our life. Transform minds and transform relationships. Isn't that great? God wants to bring a change to the way that we relate to others. So we're going to look at these next set of verses and see this picture develop anymore. I'm sorry, we're going to have to say goodbye to the cat now. Verse 15 says this. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. I need to like it when scripture tells it like it is. Don't be a know-it-all. Love is not aloof. It identifies with people in their joy and also in their heartache. We're encouraged to be those who truly love others by living at peace with them and walking in their shoes. We're encouraged here to show empathy. Empathy is a powerful thing. Empathy says to people, I really care about you. And one thing I've discovered about empathy, I used to think empathy was this, asking the question, how would I feel if I faced this situation? But I've discovered over time that that question doesn't actually go far enough. Instead, we're encouraged here to enter into others' world. If we do that, we might ask a deeper question. How would I feel if I was them with all of their experiences and their outlook in this moment and in this situation. Not just how would I feel if I was going through that, because we might look at the situation and go, well, I wouldn't react like that. I'm not sure why they are. But actually going deeper and asking the question, how would I feel if I was them with all of their experience and outlook in this moment and in this situation? Do you see the difference? Uh, one is a posture of interest from a distance. The other seeks to understand a person's motivations, their joy and their pain. Always willing to humbly work with others. And this is not just for other Christians. This is for all our world. Christians are to be known as good neighbours. 
prepared to join in the fun when someone in the street has good news and to be there to support and weep alongside those who face tragedy. And this opens the door to the story of the gospel where we get to tell people about this other way of living, one that represents the new life that God has won for us. So we need to care for people. However, the major part of these relationships that Paul wants to talk about is seen in the way that we respond to people who have wronged us. Listen to these verses. Challenging, challenging verses. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Verse 17. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honourable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Here we have four contrasts. Four things we are told not to do and four things we are asked to do. How shall we live? Like this. Don't curse others. Instead, bless them. Right, I want us to do a little bit of an exercise. What I need you to do uh, is I need you all to stand to your feet for a moment. Thank you. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you four very personal questions. They're not actually that personal. But pretend they are. And uh, what I want you to do is I want you to indicate by standing or sitting whether you agree with them. When, if you agree with it, stay standing. If you don't agree with it, you can sit down. Now, if this was a group of uh, younger people, I might say, if you really agree with it, you can stand on your chair. You're welcome to do that too. And if you really disagree with it, you might want to lie down, you know, that sort of thing. All right, here we go. Stay standing if you agree with this. Once a week, you eat something with the word might in it. Might, marmite, vegemite, promite. Stay standing if you agree with that. Once a week, you eat something with the word, at least once a week, you eat something with the word might in it. Yeah, we've got a few might people around. There you go. And then we've got a whole bunch of people who aren't into might. All right, stand back up again. All right, this one's going to get a little bit hairy. All right, you guys okay? You don't mind being separated like this? All right, next one. You love sports. Stay standing if you love sports. Sit down if you don't love sports. Debbie's on the ground. There's someone somewhere in between. We're kind of doing a bit of a crouch over our chairs here. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. We're not really a sports congregation. Really cool. Okay, stand back up. Next one. You would rather go to bed late and sleep in than go to bed early and get up early. You'd rather get to bed late and sleep in uh, than go to bed early and get up early. There's two choices there. Would you rather stay up late or would you rather go to bed early? Oh, that's like a 50-50 split. Really cool. Okay, last one. Last one. Oh, and this one is, this one's a little bit political, all right? So just, but you might say, hey, you know, I just have no opinion, in which case, sit down. You have an opinion on the three waters proposal. 
You have an opinion on the Three Waters proposal. If you've never heard of it, you can sit down. Uh, because you obviously don't know it, and you can sit down. You have an opinion on the Three Waters proposal. Oh, about 50-50 once again. Okay, you guys can all sit down. Thank you for playing. Thank you. It's nice to have some fun in church. We got through that okay as well. See, we all have differences. Sometimes these differences don't matter. When does it matter? And I think there's two elements that show us when a difference really matters. One is when the person is really close to us. What does it matter to me if I pass someone on the street, if you pass someone on the street and they love cricket and they have a black caps top on? But if you are my friend and all you do is hear me talk about the game, did you see the game? What do you think of Jimmy Neesham in the game? What about the next game? Australia, remember 2015? Uh, if you don't care about the game, then it will probably create some distance between us, even though you know, it doesn't really matter. Equally, I don't care when most of you go to bed, but if you live in my house or sleep in my bed, then it does matter. And what happens is, is that differences become disagreements, and disagreements turn into division, and division leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to the dark side. Yeah, I might have got confused there. Muddled I am. Okay, uh, so if someone's close to you, then that can create differences. The second reason is when the issue is really big to you. One of you, uh, one of the things I had you stay standing for was the Three Waters proposal. And some of you sat down because you know very little about it. However, there are many people who feel very strongly about it and will have been horrified that I even called it a proposal no, you might be wanting to say, it's, it's the Three Waters reform. It's not a proposal. It's happening whether we like it or not. And it matters to you. And it's very uh, personal. And maybe if I don't care as much as you do, then, or if I have a different opinion, then it creates differences which create division. And the reason so many people are getting so upset by opinions about vaccines and mandates is because it's both. It affects us and the people that we love, and it's huge. The biggest thing going on in our lives right now. In a couple of years, we might even look back, I wonder, and we might consider that our reactions, for a number of reasons, were stronger than they needed to be. But what do we do when we have disagreements with people inside and outside of the church? What do we do when we, maybe through those divisions, through those disagreements, feel mistreated? Romans 12, verse 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. For the Christian, if you have a disagreement with someone, it says to pray about them. And often, I don't know about you, but my prayer is like, God, that person's wrong. <laughs> you need to show them that they're wrong, and they need, to, they need to come to terms with the fact that they're just wrong. And Paul says, no, don't do that. We're not going to pray curses on people. Paul says instead to pray that God will bless them. This is so radical that for some people it may even seem immoral. They offended me. And what's my response? To pray for them to be blessed. It feels like we're not only letting them get away with it, but we're rewarding them for their negative behavior. Yet this is the way of God's people, developing a piece at a time. Paul goes on, the second contrast. 
Verse 17, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honourable. It's so easy to let the wrong someone else does to us escalate. We did, uh, in the middle of this year, the marriage course, marriage masterclass. And uh, one of those nights we talked about conflict in marriage. And we talked there about what they call the four horsemen of the apocalypse. These are, are the four ways that we disagree in marriage, or in fact in any relationship, that take things from bad to worse. And as they do predictors over whether couples will stay together, they look at these four things and they say, well, if these four things are present, then it's going to be a lot harder for a couple to actually make it work. As we seek to live for Jesus and not uh, pay back evil for evil, let's look at the four things and which one we might be most prone to. The first one is criticism. Criticizing your partner is different than offering a critique or voicing a complaint. It's when you attack their character and you use words like always or never. You always say that. You never do that. That's criticism. The second takes it to a new level, and it's contempt. This is when we're truly mean. We treat others with disrespect, mock them with sarcasm, and ridicule them. The target of contempt is made to feel despised and worthless. Contempt goes far beyond criticism. Criticism attacks your uh, partner's uh, uh, character, contempt assumes a position of moral superiority over them. Uh, and the very simple act of contempt is just simply, when you roll your eyes at someone, that is an act of contempt. You're not even willing to engage with them. The third thing that can happen in uh, these relationships is defensiveness. When we feel unjustly accused, we fish for excuses and play the innocent victim so that our partner will back off. And it seems like a, a good idea, but unfortunately research has shown that this strategy is almost never successful. It makes things worse, not better. Our excuses just tell our partner that we don't take their concerns seriously and that we won't take responsibility for our mistakes. And then the fourth is stonewalling. Stonewalling occurs when the listener withdraws from the conversation, shuts down, and simply stops responding to the other person. Rather than confronting the issues, people who stonewall can make evasive maneuvers, such as tuning out, turning away, acting busy, or engaging in obsessive or distracting behaviors. These are all elevation tactics. They're a way that we often repay evil for evil. Well, you did something to hurt me, so I'm going to criticize your character or I'm going to show contempt towards you, or I'm going to defend myself because, hey, it wasn't my fault, or uh, I'm going to stonewall you. I'm just going to shut down this relationship. We need to avoid these escalation tactics and look for ways to calm a situation. And as Paul says, to act in a way that others see as honourable. I had a neighbour recently who did something that, that really annoyed me. And to be honest, I probably could have called the city council on them. Uh, they'd uh, put something up on their property and they hadn't talked to us about it and it wasn't probably according to the guidelines. Uh, and I was really tempted to. And I asked some people and they're like, oh yeah, I'd definitely do that. I was like, yeah, I kind of want to. But I actually think that maybe I want to have a good relationship with my neighbour too. So I went over and I talked with them. And I had a conversation and as I did, they explained, well, the reason we did this is for this reason. And as they explained that, 
I realized, man, that's a, actually a really good reason. And actually, I kind of want to get behind what they're doing. So instead of maybe getting back at them, I think I might support them in this. I was able to let go of my anger, accept and even celebrate what they were doing. So we need to try and be those who look for the best. Instead of bringing evil, bringing good into a situation. The third thing Paul says is not to take revenge. Instead, leave it to God and serve them. Now, there are times when uh, we don't just disagree with others or uh, we have a situation like with my neighbour, but they actually really hurt us. And so we have to talk about revenge. And you might think revenge is not a big deal for you. None of us really think of ourselves as the type who would want to get revenge. But we need to recognize that revenge is a way of this world that is more and more attractive. Now, there is actually a whole type of movie, film, devoted to this. They are called revenge films. Really, really popular films. Let me give you a couple of movie quotes, and I want you to see if you can place where this movie comes from, where this quote comes from. Tell me the movie name. I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Gladiator. Gladiator. Yes, absolutely. We got that picture? Gladiator, that's right. It wants to have vengeance, and we all think, oh, that's, that's great. He gets his comeuppance, Commodus. All right, the next one. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Anyone know what movie that is? The Princess Bride, yeah, a classic movie, yes, absolutely. Uh, here's, a, here's a bit more of an obscure one. I'll give you a hint. This is based on a piece of classic literature. Death is too good for him. He must suffer as I have suffered. Death is too good for him. He must suffer as I have suffered. Anyone place that quote? Count of Monte Cristo, well done. Yes, The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexandre Dumas. It's a classic tale of someone who is wronged and spends his whole life getting revenge. The last one, this is quite modern, you might not have seen it. They say there are five stages of grief. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression and acceptance. Well, I'd like to add one more. Revenge. Anyone know where that one's from? Oh, we got three out of four. What is it, Ollie? Let's put it up on the screen. It's the movie Cruella that's been out recently. Another one portrays a man with a very particular set of skills. There is even one series of movies about a guy who goes on a killing rampage and kills 299 people. I looked it up. And the reason he does it is all because they kill his dog. And it's absurd to think that all of this revenge is justified. But all of us root for the person who's doing the bad things for some reason. It's plausible because there is something in us that finds it reasonable. But none of these movies represent a Christian way of thinking. But there is, we need to recognize, an itch for revenge inside of us. If we're honest, we all probably have someone we'd would like to get even with. Someone who we say, I don't want them to get away with it. They need to suffer as we have suffered. We may even see it as justice. Yet if we're honest, it's more about personal offence, which often turns to bitterness. We need to ensure that we're not holding on to events uh, about this or any issue. 
And what Paul does is he gives us a couple of things here, which is our antidote to that. The first is in verse uh, 17, 19, 19. Dear friends, dear friends, he says, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. So if you truly trust the sovereignty of God and allow him to be the judge, you do not need to keep fighting the battle. You hand them to God, ask him to bless them, and leave it at that. Now, the book of Romans, this is really important, tells us that God does not go soft on evil. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. He doesn't let people uh, get away with it. He will make sure all are called to account for their deeds. And I need to say this really clearly. If you have been abused or if you have been mistreated, God does not want you to forget about it and do nothing, nor does he want you to be silent. That's not what this is saying. The next chapter actually tells us that God has given us institutions whose role is to punish the wickedness of people on this earth. God will ensure there is justice. And sometimes it is through going through the police, going to authorities and reporting people who have done wrong to you. This is not saying not to do that. Please do that. But we trust it to God to know that even if they don't get justice here on this planet, sometimes he does bring that, but there will be a judgment day. And I would not want to be a sinner in the hands of an angry God. I would not want to be an unrepentant abuser in the hands of an angry God on that day. There will be justice. The hard part for us is trusting God's timing for justice, to still pray for someone that they will be blessed and that you act honourably in spite of what they have done. That's what is required of us. It's not easy, but by his Spirit, we can see ourselves change and trust God enough to leave him to be the one to meet justice. And then the second antidote here is to practice kindness. Romans 12, verse 20. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Frank had three sisters and a loving father. His mother, however, was not so lovely. She left her father and was abusive to all her children. Frank, however, forgave her, much to his sister's disgust. When Frank's, mother's, when Frank's mother died, it came time for the reading of the will. Everyone already knew what was in it. The mother had left everything for Frank, who didn't have a lot, and cut the other children from the will completely. Frank's mother had told him that under no circumstances could he share any of his inheritance with his sisters. The will was read. Everything went to Frank. No exceptions. The atmosphere was intense. If hatred was carbon dioxide, no one would have been able to breathe. The hatred was split half for Frank's mother and the other half for Frank for his relationship with his mother. There was silence until Frank spoke. I've decided that everything in mother's will will be split evenly. And it was as though someone had opened the window. Hate flew out. Instead, it was replaced by the fresh air of hope and for those who had held that hate, a measure of shame. Frank, said one sister, you've begun to heal this family today. 
If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink, says Paul, quoting from the book of Proverbs. Kindness and genuine care for people who have wronged you is the only way to break down barriers of hurt and stop cycles of revenge. In doing this, you will heap coals, uh, burning coals of shame on their heads. And this is likely referring to an Egyptian practice where people would carry coals on their head to show their shame and repentance. Kindness brings healing. That's what Frank found, and that's what we can find too. Fourth contrast. Paul says, don't let evil conquer you. Instead, conquer the evil inside of you by doing good. We won't get this instantly. Develops like a Polaroid picture, piece by piece. One step at a time, the new life will be born in you. Transformed minds, transformed relationships. And then we'll be able to fulfill that first. Don't let evil conquer you, Romans 12, 21. But conquer evil by doing good. Bitterness will not conquer you. Bitterness is the poison you swallow, hoping someone else will get sick. Someone else's wrongs will not conquer you. Offense will not conquer you. The only thing that you're conquered by is the love of Jesus, and that is the love that will conquer the world. Tom Wright says, whatever the effect, effect, uh, whatever the effect though, part of the point is that when we refuse to take revenge and deliberately rid ourselves even of the desire for it, we are taking responsibility, at least for our own mental and emotional health. We are refusing to allow our own future lives to be determined by the evil that someone else has done. It's bad enough that they've done whatever it was. Why should they have the right to keep us in a bitter and twisted state? The result of this new way of life, how now shall we live this new way of life, is joy for others and freedom for you. As you choose to let go of pain and offense, you deny evil an opportunity to take root in your heart. This is how we should love. As those whose love is so true that no falseness can hurt it. As those who let grace meet the offense halfway. Never touches you, because grace is already out to meet it. Let me in this morning. Can I have the band up, please? I just want to end by asking you some questions. I want us to silently uh, reflect on these. Can you stand to your feet this morning while we do that? Just uh, bow your heads this morning as we reflect on our relationships with others and on the way we respond to people who maybe have wronged us. We're just going to start this morning by asking the question, who has wronged you? Who, when you think about it, there is either fresh or in the past a sting. Who has wronged you? And then as we evaluate ourselves in the light of these verses, what are you currently doing that might be making it worse? Evil for evil. I know I might feel justified. I know I might feel like it's right. What are you doing that might be 
Oh, that's making it worse. An attitude, a behavior for you or for them. And then this morning, how can you trust God in that situation and do things that make it better? Let's pray this morning. God, we wish this was like a light switch. Oh, that it was instant. That in a moment you could just flick a switch and all of a sudden we are able to uh, bring blessing instead of cursing. We're able to let grace meet our halfway, that there would be no offense that would ever touch us. But Lord, we know that and this is a process. This is your work in us. So Lord, wherever we are in the process this morning, we come to you and we give these situations to you, these relationships to you. Lord, we want to be known as the most empathetic people in the world. We want to be known as the most tolerant and loving, kind, caring people in the world. Because that's what you are to us. Lord, we thank you for the great love that while we were still sinners, you died for us. You blessed us. You gave kindness to us. And we want to represent you by doing the same. Lord, where there has been real and genuine hurt, we know you grieve for that. You weep with those who weep, as we do. And we pray for your healing for people this morning. Bring healing, bring hope. And then, Lord, as we seek to respond, whether it be just the way that we're thinking about the situation internally or the way that we're responding to every circumstance. God, we can't do this alone. We need your help. Holy Spirit, come and fill our hearts and our lives. Help us to develop into the kind of people you've called us to be. Change minds, change relationships. Help us do that. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.